Welcome to Hort Culture, where a group of extension professionals and plant people talk about the business, production, and joy of planting seeds and helping them grow. Join us as we explore the culture of horticulture. All right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode. Hey, hey. Thank you. Glad to be here. <laughs> so uh, we are going to start this one off a little bit different just because we have some some fan mail, a listener of ours, we have listeners, mm. hello listeners, has actually sent in an email. And so I'm excited to uh, read this to you all. And it is the basis. But before you jump in there, today. Alexis, so, we do want to put out no, a plug no. to say if you have a good idea for what you, the ample fan base, would like to be called. <laughs> growing, growing fan base. Growing fan base. <laughs> you, it might be, maybe we call you the true leaves. We'll call you the... The truth. <laughs> Listen the first time you're caught a leading, and then anyway, no. Uh, what? Now and you're now you're truly, yeah. If you're a plant, plant nerd, get that. Uh, anyway, I, it, we want to <laughs> let us know what you think, and how do they? How should they get out? Reach out to us, Alexis. They can reach out to us on Instagram, or uh, they can grab uh, one of our emails from, uh, you know, yeah, the page. at Hort Culture Podcast. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. That is the, that's Instagram. So you can reach out direct message. You'll get me. Hey, uh, or you can hit the email on there and email one of us, or you can uh, find a picture, find one of the, uh, as we're, we're fondly calling them now, bald boys. Bald boys. And, uh, their emails are also on those pictures. <laughs> <laughs> so what the heck did this person so, want to and- know about Alexis? Yeah, so I'm I'm really excited. So uh, shout! I won't say this person's name, but you know who you are, and thank you for sh- for sending this out because I don't have permission to necessarily say their name. But uh, I'm going to read this to you really quick. So it says, uh, "I am a backyard gardener, and I tinker in crafts." Family members often say you could sell this or that, whether it be crafts or veggies. I have no inclination or intention to sell for some of the reasons you all have discussed. I do enjoy giving my extra veggies to the local food bank. I am, however, fascinated by looking at price versus quality in craft fairs and farmers markets, and I recognize how much time, effort, inputs, and overhead goes into production. How do you estimate, balance, and or take a wag, and that's a wild bleep guess, and that was hysterical, and I love you for that. Uh, at setting a price per item, it's a wild assessment guest. A wild assessment guest. Yes, yes. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. That was. I, I'm going to use wag now in all of my professional emails. So mm, it's like swag. But, <laughs> but anyway, like, so yeah, it's a great question. Wanting, a great wanting question. to know about how how do you price something? So whether you're, you know, we t- talked about how to decide if a something is new, a new enterprise is good for you. So how do you do that for a new crop or just new farming in general? How do we come up with this is what I'm going to sell this well, for? I, I talk about this stuff all the time. So I'm, I'm curious to hear what uh, Ray and Josh have to say about this. But not Oh, me. I see you're turning it over, uh, over to us mm, early, inversion. I see. Uh, well, I like the, the that question had multiple parts, and it sounds you know the encouraging thing about the question it was a great question was that they're already considering what they have into the product that's coming out. And that's I don't know, Brett, Joshua, Alexis, is that a good place to start? Is you first kind of know what you have in a product before you can think much further into the process of pricing. I mean, is that a one way to think about it? That tends to be how I think about it, you know, like what at least it gives you some place to start so you can estimate whether or not you are 
doing this for fun or you're actually generating some income doing this. Uh Yeah, because there's a lot of different ways to go about pricing. And we were joking uh, before we got started here today recording, you know, the cost plus method, which is, you know, you'll still hear that thrown out every now and again, but it's just simply the cost of the, the actual cost of what you have into production. And then anything above that, uh, is what you take a hard look at as far as profitability. But, you know, I say that, Brett, and just figuring out accurately what you actually have in a product is an accomplishment in and of itself because a lot of times I, I work with folks that are producing something. And, and you know, there's fundamental things that, you know, we get into s- discussions about that we have to kind of come to an agreement, such as paying yourself labor, so getting the total cost of, of things is, I mean, that's, that's a big undertaking in and of itself. Yeah, the, yeah. Way, the way that I think about pricing, I think there's three big broad stroke ideas that I would want to see addressed really before you even put anything, any seed in the ground or anything else would be one is what is special, what is unique, what is different about your product that makes it worth a premium maybe, or maybe it's worth, uh, it's more uh, attractive to customers, whatever. That's the first thing. The second thing is, what is the going cost, the going rate for that type of product? Um, so to, if you grow a fresh vine ripened tomato, that is a fundamentally different product from the hothouse green ethylene gas tomato that you can get at the grocery store. And those two things, are they're just different products. And so what's the going rate for the product that you're selling? And the one that you touched on right here is this cost issue. And we, we talk about it a lot because it's the one that I think people want to think about the least because it's like the worst part. That's where the money's going out of your pocket and somewhere else. You're going to be a downer. Not me. Not me. I can feel it. It's me. I I will be the downer. (laughs) Or or maybe a better word for downer is realist. Maybe it's realist. Realist pessimist. Yeah, th- th- that's that's the, oh, kind like of the broad that. the broad like strokes, that. and so we yeah. could talk about some of the the ways to get at each of those. But Alexis, what do you think? I mean, is that is that summarize it pretty good? And anything else we? Yeah, so the, the the cost of goods. So you'll say this, you know, any of you out there who have attended any any sessions on learning how to price a product or tried YouTubing or whatever, they're they're most likely calling this like an enterprise budget, right? Which is a very scary thing. Like, you know, you start throwing all these weird words around cost of goods, you know, what are your cogs? What are your, all of these things? And it gets a little intimidating, but essentially what it comes down to is what does it cost you to make this just in exactly what, you know, the guys have said, what does it cost you to produce this? Then add your labor uh, on top of that or your expertise on top of that. And so there's, you got to look at the, those things. And so you, there's just no way. And that's, I think, what determines whether or not you're going to, to me, in my brain, whether or not you're a hobbyist or a business person. And that's what this person said in the email. Like, I don't want to sell this. And maybe that's just because they enjoy it. There's something else that they're getting out of this experience, which is wonderful. But if you want to be a business, you need to know what things cost you to grow. And that's why, like, I get this question a lot where I deal a lot with cut flowers and people are saying, what do I charge for this bouquet? And there's two things I ask them. What is the going rate, you know, in comparison? So are you looking at a farmer's market list? Are you looking at another local CSA? And what did it cost you to produce that crop? And so sometimes it's really intimidating because, you know, you're buying, 
you might be buying compost and you're, you're buying compost for 10 different crops. You're not buying it for that one crop. So it's hard to tell. Using your best judgment on that and dividing that by 10 is perfectly acceptable. It does not have to be, at least as you get started, does not have to be anything crazy in detail. Um, as I think a lot of business people do over time, they fine tune those things mm. down. <laughs> Cause like, I want to know exactly how much at this point, but I didn't, you know, you don't start out that way. It's okay to just almost rough up some numbers. <laughs> it's better than nothing. Yeah, I you think guys say? I, I describe it as that a, an S or an educated guess is better than a shot in the dark and an exact mm-hmm. figure is better than an educated guess, but we're trying to kind of move toward that over time and refining it the mm-hmm. same way we do mm-hmm. with our production techniques and with our other marketing techniques. You never, yeah. it's very rare that you nail it right off the bat, but if you're not trying to do it in the first place and then giving yourself a, a place to improve upon, it can be kind of, kind of difficult. Um, and, you know, some of these things are very interesting to me because, you know, even things like geography come into play and it was a real eye opener for me. Uh, in my previous station, I was in the eastern part of the state, the eastern, far eastern foothills of Kentucky, and we had a very nice farmer's market there. But day in and day out, we, um, we were constantly uh, our, our vendors at the market. Their prices were compared to whatever was at the local box store, grocery store, because our market was not a, I don't know how else to say it, but our market was really not a destination type market. It was where people went to, went to purchase food. And when I came to the central part of the state, the measuring stick was much different. Um, You know, and and all of that was outside of just cold, hard numbers. It was based on geography. It was based on the type of market uh, and the type of consumers that come to that market. So even things like that, they don't really cloud the water. But I guess what I'm trying to get at here is you have to know your region. You have to know your area and what people are willing to spend. And man, that has stuck with me from the far east to how different it has been from the far eastern part of the state. And now the community that I'm in, and even beyond the community I'm in, right down the road, there's a large population center center in Lexington, Kentucky. And and, and even 15 miles difference is a completely different market. So all of those things I matter. That, that to me is, it's like, a, that's an important caveat or or expansion on the knowing what the going rate is is that there isn't necessarily this national going rate for that product or even a statewide going rate for that product. It is intensely local. Uh, one of the things that I would caution is people in general, I, I, I deal with a lot of folks across the state selling local products. And in general, my experience has been that those people tend to underprice their products uh, relative to even relative to what people will pay. Because sometimes I think the there's a the the producer, the person selling the vendor preemptively underprices in anticipation of what they mm-hmm. think their customer is expecting or is, mm-hmm. is going to complain about. But give your customer the chance to tell you that you're paying too much. I mean, sorry, that you're charging too much for your product. Don't. It's easier yeah. to lower a price right. than raise it. Don't negotiate with yourself before yeah. them. Yeah. And so I think. Maybe maybe we could just start as far as a little bit of the resource highlight thing and just give some strategies for assessing that uh, going rate thing. You know, want to start mm-hmm. there maybe? And that's kind of, the, I think that's the most concrete and it's the one that uh, people are most excited about usually. So we, we at the, the Center for Crop Diversification through the University of Kentucky, we have 
price reports from farmers markets and from produce auctions. That's one of the key things I think a lot of folks use from our, our resource bank. Uh, but there's also some various pricing and other information available from places like the USDA Ag Marketing Service. So you can see some summarized retail prices from across the country, and they're broken down by region, just to give you a little more of a broad snapshot of what your uh, what that that retail price looks like beyond just your, you know, local Kroger or local. Uh, Piggly Wiggly. I'll say Piggly Wiggly to, to branch out. I really like the um, marketing reports that you are referring to, Brett. I know that our vendors use those all the time, and I always stress those at our annual market meeting. Uh, and this year, I know that they've been up for a while, but we had a couple of vendors discover the combined report. I think it was 2016 through 2018 that did sort of a cross section of what and that really kind of displayed price trends. And they just discussed at our annual meeting how much they love that. I'm like, yeah, it's really good stuff because it was a broader snapshot that really did highlight pricing trends right here in Kentucky you know, markets uh, across the state and they just loved it. They went on and on about how they like that, that particularly that one report that uh, is there a newer one, Brett? If, or is I, that could, if I could get a, a few year, hours put together in front of a computer screen, uh, we'll, we'll have a new one for that reflects okay. the, the crazy COVID price swings and everything oh, yeah, else. Yeah. But uh, mm-hmm. as of right now, now we don't, but a great. It's a great, even now it's a great reference. And they talked about how much they appreciated that. And not only the individual reports, you know, per market, which was great because then they could pick the ones closest and that applied most closely to their situation. But those reports, the bigger reports. Yeah, that these trends, are all on the, they, C- they, the Center for Crop know, Diversification website that Ray's talking about um, that yes. those reports. So, uh, okay. So you go and check those things out. Let's say, hypothetically, you're selling something that you don't find good information from those places. Uh, Cut flowers, for instance. You know, we have some information (laughs) about that, but but overall, what do you all think? I mean, is is there, there, are there ways to get some sort of a snapshot or a sense of what pricing looks like in your area for products like that? Besides driving by people's roadside stands and checking their prices, yeah, I think. I mean, I think that's that. Yeah, can I be mean, part of it. <laughs> or is that a valid way? I don't know. I was kind of joking, but maybe not. I don't know. I think a lot of farms now are on social media, and so it is an easy way of essentially doing the roadside stand drive by, but from your phone on your couch. Uh, and so you can look. And I do this. I know people who do this. You know, all the time. Just look. You know, I'm going to use CSA as an example. If you're going to put out a CSA, same amount of weeks, flowers, whatever, look to see what somebody local is selling theirs for and, you know, take that into consideration. And maybe, you know, you raise or lower, hopefully not lower by a ton because that hurts all of us when somebody's undercut. But I think that there's enough info out there socially. So, and that's what we're looking at right now. It's kind of a social aspect of how, like how much things are selling for uh, in your area. And you might have to take into, and I say CSA because usually they're local. So it's kind of the same idea of that local farmer's market. With flowers, farmer's markets can be kind of crazy because they're an, you know, an added thing, you know, that somebody has to have more money. So typically they go to areas that have a lot more people, a lot, you know, people that have more expendable income, those types of things. But a CSA is usually typically 
pretty local. And so you can find an area that's similar to yours, uh, you know, even if they're across the state, you know, you can look to see, okay, well, their county population is about the same as mine. Looks like they're delivering within, you know, 30 or 40 miles of them. And look, you know, you can pull up just those numbers on county population and median income is what I have looked at before. And then finding a farm. One way to find a farm if you're in Kentucky is again on the CCD webpage, there uh, is a map of uh, what we're over, we're about at 100 cut flower farms, Josh. Josh manages that. I think it's like 98 or something like that. So yeah, yeah right around close 100. enough, but you can, you can find those who's, you know, locally to you find them on a map and then, you know, go to their website and stuff. And I, I feel like sometimes people feel that's kind of like a weird, almost shady thing to do, but I don't look at it that way. Like you are trying to make sure that, you know, you're not undercutting somebody else. And if anything, you may find after you look at your enterprise budget, which may be the next step that somebody is underpricing themselves. And so mm. by you selling at a higher price, everybody can then sell at a higher price is, is kind of the the theory, right? Yeah. The, the, big, the big caveat that I try to give everyone <clears throat> all the time when we talk about price reports, when we talk about going and doing your own market and pricing research like this, is that just because the going price is the going price currently does not mean that is the correct price in the marketplace. So what I mean by that is if you take a look at the reports and you see that everybody's selling this product for $3 a pound, well, if it costs you $3 just to, a pound just to produce it, it could be either you don't need to grow that product or it could be that those people are massively underpricing the product in the first place and you need to be the one who's going to up the price and figure out how to do that. And it's a, still a huge I, issue, c- consistently an issue across the state from many markets that I've seen. Brett, well, because people point. will look at the price report and they'll think that that is like the, the statement of what the price should be. It's just a description mm-hmm. of what's there. You know, it's like a, taking a picture of a tree and saying, that's how tall that tree is supposed to be. Well, no, that's how tall that tree is. That's how high those prices are right now. And I have a number of experienced producers who have told me, no offense, Brett, we don't even use those price reports because the prices are way too low. And then I have other people who are shocked and they act like that the prices that are on there are so high. And it's a, it's a crazy thing to, to even suggest that in the first place. So in general, it is a good idea to get a sense of what those prices are and what the going price is. But that doesn't mean that that's the price that it needs to be. And I'll give you one quick, very small, short anecdote about that exact concept. So we work with these farmers markets and collect these prices every week. And I try to maintain a little bit of a relationship with all the reporters just to see how things are going. And and one of our reporters, because it's been a couple of years ago now, told us that uh, she was concerned about their green onion prices. She saw the green onion prices at their market it was a dollar a bunch for, you know, little a little bunch of six to eight green onions. Everywhere else in the state is selling them for two dollars a bunch. And she's addressed this before, and this is a true true story. <clears throat> she's addressed this before, and people are just hesitant to bringing up the price to raising the price at the you know their prices at the market. And she's like, "Look, I'm just telling you, everywhere in the state, this is going for two dollars a bunch." So, in a coup for profitability, they decided, "Okay, we're going to charge two dollars a bunch for our green onions." Every vendor at their market still sold out. And they made twice as much money on the green onions that week. I'm not a big mathematician, but I think going from $1 to $2 means you made twice as much revenue off of those. 
uh, that week. And it was just an example of we were underpricing ourselves and nobody even complained or balked about that. It was just a matter of us anticipating that. And I, again, I talk about this a lot and so I'll uh, take a beat here in a second, but look around because things like gas inputs, labor, no, no prices have gone down anywhere else. And so how is it that you're still kind of keeping this artificially low price for yourself that's only hurting you and your long-term ability to do that? But yeah, so is that, does that feel like we covered the, the kind of just general snapshot of how to, how to assess prices and what the going rate is? Yeah, the social aspect of kind of, that's probably not a proper description, but that's how I think of it as kind of the social aspect of pricing. Of- I almost think of it like price sensitivity or price tolerance for the consumer in your area. And the other piece to that puzzle is, and to me, it's the initial piece is what do you have in it? What do you have in a crop? All of your input cost total. And then you decide when you do the social aspect, you look at a snapshot of 10 different producers in the area and if um, the average price is above what you have in it, you make the decision of profitability and either go forward so or if, don't. If somebody was coming to you, Ray, and they were in that first stage of trying to figure out what they've got in it, what do you, you know, I'm sitting in your office and saying, I'm trying to figure out if this is a good idea. How would you encourage me to start out? You know, we just take a, a we basically make list of uh, fixed and variable cost. And, you know, and uh, as Alexa said, then you consider your labor input and just work our way up from there and be very. And it's great if you have and UK does uh, have. I know you guys have worked on those and we have uh, several at the University of Kentucky to look at. You're real lucky if you have an enterprise budget that already has a baseline. Mm-hmm. And what that basically does, even if it's a few years old pre-COVID, uh, and the prices may not be completely up to date. It's still an awesome tool because it gives me a thinking tool and a summary of what I should be thinking about as far mm-hmm. as what a cost is, because so many times we forget things uh, to include in the cost. So even if you think they're out of date, use them and look at the categories and then assign your own cost by doing your own research. And that's usually where I start at with people. We don't talk about pricing first. We talk about can, you know, what is, what is it going to take on your farm and your operation? Which equipment do you have to buy? How much labor? Is it family labor? Is it outside labor? We make all those considerations and then take a deep breath. And then we look at prices, pricing in the area versus the exact product that you can bring to the market and whether you can add value to it to bump the price up a little bit. And we, then we look at timing and all the other factors. Yeah, if you're not if you're not familiar with the enterprise budgets, so there's some from UK, we have the, the Center for Crop Diversification, but there's ones other places too. And if you search, you know, uh, cut flower enterprise budget and look for results that from, uh, from trusted sources, it'll kind of give you a breakdown and say, you know, things like fertilizer, if you're going to do plastic, if you're going to do irrigation, if you're going to do have, you know, hired labor, if you're going to have boxes or packing supplies. And I, I really do agree with you, Ray, on the, like the idea that it's, it's kind of like almost a, a shopping list of sorts for the, the costs that you need mm-hmm. to make sure you remembered, because it's, if it's crumpled receipts yeah. on the dash of the truck is your filing system. That's a good, it's a good way to at least, make sure you got every a good a good handle on it and and a lot of the enterprise budgets will have some pre-filled information as sort of a suggestion or a mm-hmm. guess but they're built to be mm-hmm. edited you're supposed to delete oh wait no that's way cheaper we can get that way cheaper or this is way more expensive and there is a portion on there where you talk about you at the bottom you can usually enter what you think your uh, suggested price and yields might be 
And then you can kind of do a profitability comparison there. And sometimes it makes sense to, to go forward. And other times it really doesn't, depending on a lot of different things on the other side of that equation. Yeah. yeah. And so you can use those, you know, prices that you have found from the area to kind of plug in and see oh, how absolutely. much profit. Yeah. And what you might find is you're like, wow, it's not paying me enough to be able, mm. you might be making a profit, but are you making enough to make it worth your time to be out in July in the hot sun? you know, getting eaten up by mosquitoes, harvesting something. And you may find that that's not worth it to you, you know, or you say, I'd have to, you know, I have to charge this much to make it worth it to me uh, to be able to do that. So Alexis, what you're saying is you have to ask yourself, is it worth it? Let me work it. Can I work it? And then download the enterprise budget, then flip it and reverse it. (laughs) <laughs> exactly exactly you can work backwards for all the 90s kids out there thank you the for bringing references. that up so beautifully but you can actually work backwards if you're trying to find something if you're saying you know i want to make i want to be a full-time farmer i need to make this amount of money growing these crops you can actually work that backward and figure out how much you need to grow based on these price points uh, i think the hardest part for most people is really once they start doing the enterprise budget like they said it's just a shopping list you're just price checking uh, so it's not that hard it's Figuring out the yield, mm-hmm. especially if it's a crop you've never grown Definitely. before. And so like, how do I know how much, you know, how many pounds of tomatoes one plant is going to give me, but I know this one plant is going to cost me this amount of dollars. And I think that can be a hard yeah, one, part. So one approach to that is is to do a variation on what you might describe as a, as a sensitivity analysis. That's not exactly, it's more of, a, I think of it as a, optimist, cynic, and neutral. So so like with tomatoes, for instance, let's say that in your area, you talk to people and they think 20 pounds per plant of tomatoes is like pretty good and like 10 pounds, not so good. Now you can go higher than that if you've got the engineered system, you know, whatever, but you can do a little bit of like a, what if things go badly, 10 pounds per plant? What if things mm-hmm. go okay, 15 pounds per plant? What if things go mm-hmm. well, 20 pounds per plant and do some math uh, that way? One thing I just want to emphasize that both Ray and Alexis have said and kind of said in their own way that I'll say a little more bluntly is that as you look at the costs and you do the math, a totally valid, reasonable, and sometimes the only responsible response to that is to say, I'm not going to grow this. I'm not yep. going to do this. Like, I just can't. I, I can't. I've tried selling it for more. People won't accept, won't accept a higher price. They won't pay a higher price for it. I just can't grow that. Uh, there's other strategies that are more advanced. Maybe we'll talk about some sometime down the line, things like lost leaders thinking about your product mix as a whole, et cetera. But for, for in general, it's okay to say this isn't going to work for me and you're going to save yourself some heartache and probably some money in the, in the meantime. I'm waiting yeah. to find out if something's going to work for me. Cause I just said, if I can't overwinter dahlias, I'm not going to grow mm. them anymore because I, it, it's really miserable to dig them mm-hmm. <laughs> in the mud and in the yeah. cold. And to me, like my time is very, very valuable. So I can't pay myself enough to dig them every year to make them worth it for me. Even though my customers, I can sell them all day long, but I can't sell them at a high enough price to make it warrant that. So, you know, I'm waiting to see, like, I've been like peeking underneath a tarp and like, are you alive in there? Because you're going to determine your future here. So <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, you got to be, sometimes you got to be a little bit ruthless uh, in, in your Cut the yeah, fat, You can't baby. dilly Cut dahlia with dahlias too much. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so what you did there. Tiptoe around the That's tulips. What you, did there. you wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> uh, I'm about to cut tulips out Ooh. of my thing as well. So, you know. You've, uh, you've hit a nerve. <laughs> yeah. You've done it, Brett. Don't you've bring up it. the tulips this year, okay? We didn't have enough cold. They're short. It's a problem. They're not. <laughs> they are I hope not you based your enterprise budget on the low end of the spectrum, Alexis. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't buy tulips over uh, a certain projection. Yeah, see, I did my budgets, and I know I can't afford to grow a tulip that's not, you know, that's over forty-five cents. These a tulips bulb, are so too I don't buy short. Those. That kind of cost sort of analysis, <laughs> you know, including the labor too. It seems like it's crucial when you're doing some kind of diversified operation, right? Because there's that opportunity cost if you continue mm-hmm. to do this one crop. It prevents you from doing mm-hmm. more of another crop. And yeah, that seems critical for that kind of operation. And if you're a small operation, it could be just even the opportunity cost of your time, but also like your space, right? Sure. So yeah. if I'm putting dahlias there that really aren't making me that much money, I could be putting, you know, herbs there or something that I know make me a lot of money or whatever that is. This just from a kind of the 20,000 feet view of this conversation. It's an interesting conversation and we may have listeners very well may have, we do have listeners outside of the state uh, because we've gotten some feedback and questions from out of state. There you go, Missouri. There's folks in Missouri listening, but uh, here in Kentucky, you know, this conversation might be different if we were in the Carolinas or even Tennessee where they had more of a, um, established co-op system or terminal system this would be a completely different discussion but this discussion centers today around a direct to market direct to consumer Mm -hmm. and that's why it's such an important discussion for us here in kentucky because we spend a lot of time thinking about this that may not be the case if you're the next scale up maybe into wholesale where you're not so much a a price maker but a taker And and that's not said in a negative way it's just the reality of the components of the system but here in kentucky this is a different discussion for us it's near and dear to us yeah that's a great point ray that this is this is very we kind of jumped in assuming but if you're not in a it could be that if you're in certain markets the price you don't have any say over what the price is you just have Mm -hmm. a say over whether or not that's going to work for you as the price Production cost is what and you're it becomes with, a, yeah. a and little bit the, simpler math uh, and a little. Yeah, those budgets yeah, are necessary. That's a great point. And and you know we're also it's becoming way more common and it's a direct to consumer uh, endeavor here in Kentucky. That's you know it seems like it got started in the northern part of the U.S. But like CSAs, that's blown up uh, in a good big way in my county, where there, we have a lot of CSAs. The farmers market acts as a accumulation point CSA. So, you know, and then price is important in those. Now it gets even more complicated when we talk about CSAs to me, because then it's not a what, it's not a single product, Mm -hmm. but it's a value added. I mean, our CSAs, they may contain meat, eggs, pies, all sorts of things. And boy, how do you price those? Anybody having thoughts on that? I mean, I know that, uh, I mean, this discussion applies there as well. Yeah, I don't think it matters what your product is. You, your cost no. to raise a hog, you, the feed, you know, mm-hmm. any medicines, any, I don't know, I've never raised a pig before, but there's the same, there's input costs. Yeah. Just like there are to grow a radish, there's an input cost. So there what should are your- be some premium if you put all that together and some of our CSAs includes flowers and all of these things. I'm, and, I, and I think about that sometimes. I'm like, wow, that's a complicated, eclectic mm-hmm. mix of things that are beautiful together. But there's also got to be that, you know, speaking of pricing, that's, and they usually fetch a premium price. Mm-hmm. But they should 
because you have this complex mix of local goods and then it takes time to put that together, put it in a basket and then contact people weekly. And all of that is, I guess, the value add portion. It, Josh, you or Brett mentioned, you know, kind of touched on it just for a second, that value add that also plays into pricing. Yeah, I think, I mean, with CSA that we should do a whole episode or series of episodes on CSA and get some, get some fun yeah, guests in. Let us know on Insta, drop into the D, slide into the DMs and let us know if you want to hear episodes on CSA or anything else. Really, it's at at Hort Culture Podcast on Instagram. You can also email us and get in contact with us and let us know. I think, you know, with CSA, it's interesting because on, on some level, you kind of have your product sold before you grow it, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty awesome. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. you're, you're committed, but I think in some cases there you're working maybe even starting with a price and then working backward mm-hmm. to figure out what you can do, like what's the highest quality share you can deliver um, with that sort of price. But uh, hopefully managing your risk a little yeah, bit. It's, it can be a really great yeah. system. It yeah, can be very difficult on, on the people producing it and every, just like a lot of other uh, horticulture mm-hmm. enterprises. Yeah. I, I think, pressure. you know, CSA, and other direct markets, as you mentioned, Ray, some some markets you're not getting to, to name your price. The places where you are, those direct markets, the last little bit of, of I think, considering what your price is, is ha- how and why is your product special? Uh, so we talked about mm-hmm. the context of the market determining some people, you know, in, in bigger markets or, or more urban markets, there might be more willingness to pay for more or for certain attributes or whatever. But I think that the the understanding what makes your product special and being able to explain what that is in some ways can drive a premium. And so I'm curious as you all think about like with the direct marketer people that you all support and work with, what are the things about their products that their customers or that your, you know, your product, your customers particularly value or think, is it the localness? Is it the transparency? Is it the a little bit of that kind of goes back to the geography I mentioned earlier. And when I was in a, you know, a county far removed from a population center for whatever reason. Uh, it was not a um, a destination market that was, it was not a social outing destination market. It was a, it seemed to be more of a market where people actually came to shop as if it were a grocery store. It seems like when those markets magically get to that destination, what I call a destination uh, status, they're buying the story as much as they are purchasing the raw goods. And if that's the case, you better well bet that I'm going to have some pictures. I'm going to have a description. If it's an heirloom bean that's unique to my family and it's been in my family for 50 years, I am going to tell a story as part of the value add for my product. Uh, And I see that a lot in the central part of the state where people want to hear the story. They want to see the the pictures of the family and how they work together and bringing crops to harvest and things. And uh, is that kind of some of the things you're kind of getting at Brett? Because all, I think all of that matters that if quality is equal, then story matters. And, um, and uh, then the local aspect of that product matters and the source of that product matters even more. If it's more an affluent market, that's commanding a price premium. Yeah. I, I think it, that the the Q word that you threw out to me is the big one of the biggest factors and and things to consider is quality, and product quality can mean a lot of different things. So if I'm a if I'm managing a large wholesale distribution produce distribution network, 
quality to me is that it holds up in the boxes and it gets to the place that it needs to get and is in a con- condition that is acceptable or exceeds the expectations of the end user. Quality in a farmer's market might be the sweetest, most delicious vine ripened red tomato. It was soft when it came off the plant and it's going to be mush by the end of the day. But if you can make that BLT at lunch today, you're going to have the best experience <laughs> of your life. And it's proven with a taste test. <laughs> exactly. Maybe. And I, I think quality is one of those things, along with the localness and the transparency. Alexis, what do you think? What are, what are some of the, the things that, so just to connect this back to pricing really explicitly. In general, if you're offering a product that is more difficult or that is impossible for large systems of distribution to provide, then your product is unique and it's special. And in some level, it probably deserves a premium. It does, it's going to cost more. You need to charge your customer more for that product. The magic happens when the customer agrees that the product is worth that extra money and they give you that money in, in exchange for it. And so when you think about price premiums and things that people value and are willing to pay for Alexis, what do you, what things come to mind for you either in the cut flower world or in the vegetable world or anywhere else? If they can't get it somewhere else. Right. So like if you're, if you've got something somebody else doesn't have like a really weird, you know, I, I think an example of it is there's, you know, some really cool Asian vegetables that usually traditionally use an Asian cooking so if you are in a market that has, if you are in a market with a population that has a lot of, you know, people that are Asian and they'll come to you and you're the only one that has that and you can have a premium for that because they're getting it fresh. They don't have to, if they're getting it from a store, if they can at all, it's probably not as good, right, at a box store because it's shipped really far. So if they can't get it anywhere else in the flower world, you know, there's some flowers that just do not ship. You cannot ship them. So our local grower or our local florists are, you know, looking for those and will pay a premium and use it in, you know, special wedding designs and things like that. So growing those items and pricing appropriately, um, if they, if they just can't get it somewhere else. And, you know, we, we, you always hear about organic things like that, right? You're going to charge more for organic usually because you have a lot more labor or, you know, inputs are going to be more expensive, not always, but sometimes, uh, but usually it comes down to more labor, uh, things along those lines. So, you know, you have the story, but it's also like, can can they just get it anywhere? If everybody at the market has tomatoes and the cost of tomatoes goes down, but if you're the only one that has an heirloom tomato, then you're gonna make you're gonna get all of those those buyers uh, who want that heirloom tomato. Something that relates to that, Alexa, it just made me think about it. You mentioned heirloom tomatoes, but I've worked with markets and see if you guys have had any experience with this. It's neither good nor bad. It just is what it is worked with markets that set the prices up front and vendors cannot veer from those prices. I don't think it's as common anymore, but I know there's a few markets out there that'll set a price max, a cap. Uh, and I always thought that was interesting because everyone's, you know, production situation. I've seen different. a minimum. I've not seen a minimum. Yeah. yeah like a minimum. Yeah, minimum makes more sense to me. I do not understand the logic of a maximum price. Yeah, I forget you guys, Brett, you guys see a a good crosshatch across the state. But so, yeah, what do you think about that? Uh, I think having uh, in general, I think having discussions about price. And I think if you if you're what you're trying to do is prevent undercutting, then, yeah, it's a very it's an important conversation to have. I personally, if if I'm imagining a scenario where I sell tomatoes for two fifty a pound. And some crazy upstart person from the big city just moved in and they're trying to sell their tomatoes for three fifty a pound. I don't really see what good I get 
in keeping them from trying to do that. Because if they price mm-hmm. it that way and it's too rich for the for the shopper, if it's too expensive for the shoppers at our market, then I'm they're going to come to me and buy stuff. You get more business. If they do yeah. great and they sell for three fifty a pound, you can bet I'm raising my prices to three fifty a pound mm-hmm. next year or next week or whenever. And so I don't really understand the upper limit, but I do understand the trying to combat undercutting. The lower limit. Makes I, you more know, sense. I, I get it's a little like the price fixing stuff. It's a little ambiguous. People are going to do what they're going to do, but I, I can at least understand having a conversation about undercutting for sure. Yeah. And that's the classic example is let's say someone's a new farmer. They've not done the background research or new producer. They've not done the background work. They're not sure what they have in it, or they may just be doing it. We hear this a lot. They're just doing it for fun. They come in and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, they way undercut everyone else at the market. And what you usually have there when working with producers is a bunch of upset producers Mm -hmm. that are like, well, they're not going to be there in two years, but they skew people's perceptions of value. And that's a big topic of discussion. So please, this is this is my desperate plea <laughs> to all of you out there who are farming. Whether or not you're doing this more as a business and this is the only job you have or it's a side hustle or you just like to go to the farmer's market and sell some stuff out of your garden. Totally fine, right? But please know what it costs you to do that. Like, like please, because there – if not for yourself and your own like taxes and and, and all that information, because like I want I monetize everything. I'm a numbers person. When my husband and I were looking at places to buy, we made we put number we assigned numbers to things instead of feelings. We were like, mm, this is a seven. So like this is that's how my brain works. But even if you're not and you're just doing this because you enjoy it or you want to make people's day or something like that, think about the people who mm. are doing this because they're making a living off of it. Because most of the people at, at like a farmer's market or, or wherever are and in the wholesale game, of course, most likely you're all trying to make a living off that. So it's fine. But please think about those people when you go to price. So know what it costs you. And if you don't know what it costs you and you see that they're selling for $350 a pound, sell yours for $350 a pound, you know, like because there's a reason they're doing it. So that's just my little PSA for the day because it's – it. and if you don't – if you feel bad for charging somebody as much as it's probably worth and give it to them for free and call it a gift or go donate it to the food bank or go give it to the nursing home, mm-hmm. do it that way. Don't undercut the people who are really <laughs> struggling out yeah. there. Yeah, I, I definitely I, – I, I have a thing in one of the, the talks that I give where I, I say that I hear something along the lines of I can't charge my neighbors that much or that price. And my inverse to that is how how can your neighbors expect you to sell them a product at a loss to you? You know, you're you don't want to Boom, take baby. it from them, but they're you you're wanting them to take it from you. And I'm not, there's no maliciousness here. And a lot of times the thing that's absurd is that the people the customers are not the ones who are overly upset about the price or like that are complaining. It's like this preemptive imagination mm-hmm. imagined scenario. And honestly, a couple of people complaining and you making twice as much or three times as much money to me is worth it. But maybe I'm just a a brusque. uh... Also, you might not be your own customer. I have had to learn that. Like just because I wouldn't pay that for something doesn't mean that other people Mm -hmm. won't. Like I am not my own customer. Especially if you have a bigger customer base, uh, let's say a community yeah. of 400,000 people, you have a larger sample size that yeah. may pay that upper yeah. limit. So yeah. that's $100 nice. means a whole lot 
different, I mean, different things to, to certain people than to others. Some people can yes. do it without even yes. thinking a hundred bucks. is like nothing. Other so, people. So yeah, pull, pull, you know, another way to find out is pull those customers, give them some free stuff and just give them three price points and just say, well, you know, what would you pay for that? Or something like that. Sometimes they'll give you some good, honest feedback. Yeah, maybe, maybe we could do another, another episode at some point about the pricing dynamics and have some people want to talk about how they approach it and and dig a little deeper again let us know what you'd like to hear on this because this we're doing this for you all and, and for as much as for ourselves though we do have a pretty good time doing it um and so again alexis if they want to get in contact with us at hort culture podcast on instagram and then mm-hmm. our email addresses are in the or, like the show notes or they can be they are they now, are now. <laughs> but yeah, I should, I should have. We'll throw one of our emails in, in every, how about we'll throw at least one of our emails in all of the show yeah, notes. We'll give so Josh's, can, Josh's home phone number. You can find number. us if you're like, God, I do not want to talk His to that Brett guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cell phone, text, he is the worst. Text bald boys to <laughs> three, four, four, no. Um, They're going to have their own uh, Instagram before we know cool. it. Cool. Well, Josh, do you have any, it's B-O-I-S- did we learn anything together, Josh, in the last little bit? I think so. I mean, I would say to kind of put it all together. You know, there's kind of these three main features of pricing. Uh, there is the cost that you have into it, and that exists kind of in tension with what is the growing rate or the price that you can discover out there. What are people willing to pay? And then maybe you can sort of reduce some of that tension by articulating what is different or premium about your product, if there is a distinction there. And yeah, that's how I'd kind of put it together those three things. And there's resources associated with each of those. You know, you can do price discovery by looking at price reports from our auctions or farmers markets, those USDA retail prices, as well as kind of local research or spying, as Alexis <laughs> might call it, when you look at see what other people are charging. And then as far as determining your costs, um, you know, we have, there's enterprise budgets. And don't forget to include your own labor. Uh, and your own management as a cost because you're not out there doing it for free. And if you are, you should, you know, donate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that to me, the, the core, uh, the core of a lot of issues that I see people have with marketing is they haven't necessarily put in the time to fully understanding the value of their product and the uniqueness of their brand. And I think that it runs through the pricing stuff, but it runs through all kinds of other things too. And that that's that we're not trying in many cases with these products, we're not trying to compete with a retail environment or we're not trying to compete with somebody uh, selling it at Thank scale. You. So kudos to all the folks, all the producers out there. And I say specifically producers because we're, we're all not marketers mm. and it, it will never cease to absolutely amaze me. The skill set that these smaller operations have to have production is its own skill set. Marketing is its own marketing and price setting. All of that is a completely different skill set. And my hat's off to all those that can accomplish all of that and do a good job at, at it. I mean, you're the complete package out there as a small producer. If you're doing a bang up good job with all of that. So um, good on you. Complete package. Well, thank you for joining us today. Uh, and we hope that as we grow the podcast, we hope you grow with us and join us next week uh, where we are going to talk about some uh, – interplanting is that right guys interplanting i think that's it awesome well join us next week check us out at at hort culture podcast on instagram and we will talk soon